What is up, hoopers, analytics, bad guys, bucket getters, boosters, blue bloods, and new bloods? On today's episode, we are talking Louisville. What kind of job is it? They got rid of Chris Mack this week. Uh, a lot of chatter about who they're going to get and who they're definitely not going to be able to get. We're going to talk about Pac-12 basketball with Rocco Miller and talk about our favorite little game, Belt Watch, as well as the New Bloods and Blue Bloods of the week. Hello, Hooper All. Thanks for joining us today. I am Tuck Clary. I write for Busting Brackets, Slippers Still Fits, and I'm about to rock some home field apparel. Hype for that. And joining me, it's straight up the Zaddy of Zag Twitter, Austin King. How are you, Austin? What up, boys? Also joining me, how do you like your memes? Deep fried or fertilized? It's Kyle Sessions. <laughs> hey what's up guys gals and uh, non-binary pals we got to be a little more more inclusive here austin yeah that's true i'm sorry we we we, you know what i'm just saying everybody here identifies as (laughs) male y'all my boys i heard that jay kenji lopez shout out yes you did and also joining me today uh, he's got more recipes in the kernel and his kitchen is the yum center it's josh linky Yo. All right, boys. A lot of stuff on the docket today. Josh, I know there's one thing you want to talk about, and that is what the hell is going on in Louisville? So Louisville firing Chris Mack was kind of a big deal on the on the college basketball scene this week. And let, let me set the table for what Louisville is for college basketball. I don't think people really understand this. This is a top 10 job in America. They're the top college basketball TV market by ratings. They're one of they have one of the largest college basketball venues in the country with the Yum Center. Their fan base is enormous and engaged. It's been top 10 in attendance nationally dating back to the 1970s. Most profitable college basketball program in the country. It's even more profitable than some major college football programs. UVL has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in facilities across their urban campus. This is a sleeping giant on the landscape of college basketball. My question is, who are they going to hire that's going to help awaken those vibes? Fellas, there is only one man that can fit the vibes of Louisville. And that man is Rick Pitino, a man that can rock a white suit. He can rock a red suit. He was unjustly fired. Jesus. And he deserves to return to the throne in Louisville and coach the Cardinals to the title. I got three letters for you regarding Rick Pitino, and that would be F B I. <laughs> Sir, uh, Will Wade would like a word. Bruce Pearl would like a word with you. Uh, Chuck Person would like a word with you. Sean Miller would like a word with you. Yeah, but none of those guys were fired because of the FBI. Yeah, and he was unjustly fired. The FBI has no jurisdiction regarding Rick Pitino. He may have, you know, run away to Greece for a little while, but he's back. He's in college basketball, and it's time to bring him back to Louisville. He's better than ever. Okay, okay, okay. So, so I, I like don't even know how to table this Rick Pitino conversation. I, I, but also I can't fathom that being a realistic option. But also I don't know what is a realistic option. Um, 
I know that Austin is going to straight up look like Wes Welker at the Kentucky Derby if Rizzino <laughs> gets that job back, just vibing, grinding his teeth, getting hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped. But Josh, what what is like what could possibly be a reasonable head coach if it's a top ten program? But also, do they have a school president? Do they have an athletic director? What is going on there? So the answer to both of those questions is no. They don't have an athletic director. They don't have a president. But if you want to talk realistic hire, the most likely candidate and probably least sexy candidate of the bunch is Kenny Payne. He's a Louisville guy. He was recruited and played for uh, for Denny Crum. Um, He was part of that 1987 national title. He played in the NBA for a few years at the Sixers. Um, he started as an assistant on Ernie Kent's staff out at Oregon in the mid 2000s. And he was a big time assistant under Calipari for like 10 years at Kentucky. So if there's one you know, tree I trust, it's the Ernie Kent coaching tree. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's so got, he's, he's got, got bluegrass dude. roots. Yeah. And, and so, you know, would, is Louisville going to go after the guy that, that fits the program most in the sense of like background, or are they going to go after the big sexy hire that is, Austin. Yeah, it's Rick Patino. But like, okay, in reality, <laughs> that was a Bruce Pearl lead, man. I, know, I was about look, I, my mind is always with Rick. My heart is always with Rick. It is the big sexy heart is Bruce Pearl. But again, the most important thing is look at Rick Patino and look at Denny Crum and what they were capable of doing on the level of vibes. And it is pulling off a suit. It is pulling off a bright, like white cream suit or a bright red suit. That is what matters. And there is one man that pulled off a beautiful, beautiful orange suit in Tennessee. And that man is Bruce Pearl. And it is time to bring Bruce to Louisville. That is really true hire. Do you really need a suit? When you can just rock shirtless in the, in the sea of Auburn fans with Cam Newton and flex on them all. You know what? He can go shirtless. He can paint his body Cardinal red. That would fit the vibes too. Like, it, you just need someone flamboyant. Chris Mack was not that. He does not fit at all. I'm sorry, Kenny Payne, boring. Like, Can you imagine Kevin Chris Willard? Mack with his shirt off, by the way? No, How absolutely like, not. The vibe's down horrendous. Did you ever see that movie horrible. Powder with the albino dude? <laughs> <laughs> Completely hairless, bald. Yeah, that's Chris Mack. Like, yeah, and that's why I can't go with Kevin Willard. Like, Oh, my I, gosh. I, that's a Spider-Man sorry. meme. Like, yeah, what? exactly. Exactly. It's just like, sorry, like both really good coaches, but like the vibes just don't work. But I thought you were Hall in. I am. I want him to stay at Seton Hall. But So this is a selfish pick here. You're not you're not going Willard because you're Hall in. No, I, I yeah, that, but also he doesn't fit that program. Like he really doesn't. He needs to stay at Seton Hall and you know, make a run at winning the Big East one day. I, I guess what I'm wondering is, what is the fit of that program again if they don't have an AD or president? I mean, like, that just feels like some sort of horrible, like, Showtime show where uh, the the big villain Rick Pitino gets killed off, or you thought he was killed off because he was killed off screen, and he returns and he says, you thought you could kill me? I'm back. I'm better than ever. Like, what AD is going to take over that job and be like, oh, yeah, this is great. I, I definitely don't have to answer to Rick Patino or some other, like, problematic head coach. So, like, Dexter Newblood on Showtime, Rick Patino will be back with another season, 
shedding new blood, killing new people. He's why are we man. why are we pretending like Rick Patino is a villain? He's more like Jon Snow being stabbed in the back by his administration, not, you know, it, you know, he's stabbed in the back by uh, Kyle definitely the, didn't finish that season. Kyle's a little uh, shocked at those spoilers. Oh, I'm so sorry for the Game of Thrones spoilers. But, you know, he's going to come back. The Red Woman. I don't know. Who, who's the Red Woman of Louisville's program? <laughs> I think we know who she is. You gotta ask she's Mike the reason he's that. not there anymore. Karen Cypher. Uh, you oh, got to ask Katina Mike about that. Powell. <laughs> okay. Well, she's going to bring him back. Bring him back to life. And he's going to thrive, you know? And he's going to take the throne. I think we need to talk about one last candidate here for Louisville. And that, to me, would be beloved former Cardinal had his jersey retired just last weekend russ smith he'd be an instant Mm -hmm. fan favorite does he have any coaching experience no would he be a good recruiter who knows but i mean come on it's russ smith the guy right like russ too the guy the guy is a legend in louisville think about this you get jr around the program too like uh i i think that's that's great also uh, speaking so of which, we did have the anniversary of one of the most famous J.R. Smith tweets. Um, I will not say on the podcast, but go look that up. Uh, yeah. Um, Kyle, Kyle, who do you think is a, is a reasonable? I was just going to say, uh, if we're looking for like feminine suit rocking coaches, um, BYU has like an up and comer that might be interested in oh like going to a real program. <laughs> um <laughs> But other than that, um, I don't know. I mean, nothing would make Auburn fans happier than having all this Bruce Pearl talk turn out to actually be them hiring Nate Oates. I think that would be hilarious. Um, We'll hear later about how much, uh, you know, that uh, sweet Uno reverse card is getting played by Auburn this year. So maybe that's just like what the universe is deciding. But could you I imagine the deep fried with... memes that Auburn would unleash upon Louisville at the hiring <laughs> of Nate Oates? Uh, it would be a storm. But I also want to uh, concur, Josh, with your Russ, uh, your Russ uh, pick because nothing uh, screams Louisville coach like a two-time Chinese scoring champion. Um, so that just <laughs> don't knock good. the hustle. And, and like, let's be real. We all know that hiring former players works out extremely yeah, well for exactly. every single program. Yeah, I can't think of a time that that has not worked. Yeah, absolutely not. L- little Penny would – I mean, Little Penny, what he's done in Memphis has been absolutely spectacular. I can't speak for what Big Penny's done, but Little Penny, that's the vibe right there. <laughs> I'm so like Chris Mullen. Go into the Bruce Pearl thing because that seems to be the sexiest name. Mm-hmm. Honestly, par- potentially because he is the coach of the number one team in the country right now. Do we think he would take that job in a heartbeat? Because there seems to be some disagreements uh, in Auburn land that why would he leave that job after building it up finally to you, be where it is now? You can't trust a word out of Auburn Twitter because at the end of the day, they it, it is just a meme at this point. Their entire fan base is a walking, talking meme. So they're biased. They're unable to think clearly about what's going to happen here. And and really, at the end of the day, like it's been reported already, Bruce Pearl has significant interest in the Louisville job. And of course he should. Like Louisville is probably the sixth best job. Like I know the administration stuff, but it is closer to being a blue blood great program than it is to being what Auburn is, which is this is the first year really in their history under Bruce Pearl 
where they've been a true, true national title contender at this point in the season. And I don't know if that's going to continue on at Auburn. Um, I don't know if they're going to just stay this new blood that's a constant, you know, top five, top 10 program in the country for the next 10 years. I think it's much more likely that they're not. Um, And he has a much better chance of being a serious contender and win national titles on a regular basis at Louisville. Auburn basketball history is is one name pre Bruce Pearl, and that's Charles Barkley. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. It is pretty cute to like hear a school that just started camping for tickets say, "Why would you leave this?" Auburn, we love you. Joshua, Joshua said some yeah. inflammatory things back there. Uh, those those are usually not necessary to represent the entirety of this uh, podcast uh, in corporate. Uh, but I want I, all the smoke. Yeah, he wants all the smoke. Deep fry his ass, boys. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, it's it's pretty wild to hear uh, from a fan base that a guy that had to only go to booster and school events for six months because he wasn't allowed to talk to any of his players, to hear people say about that guy that he's one of the most selfless people or selfless coaches in the country, like... The idea, the idea that this this guy that uh, every single interview is a champagne campaign to shake hands and kiss some babies, um, yeah, I I I appreciate your unbridled optimism. You deserve the unbridled optimism as the number one team in the country. And interesting, I mean, the Auburn fan base is kind of like, oh, we're gonna be fine because we've got these new facilities planned, and you know they can pay them a little bit more because the salaries are not that far off based on what um, Mac was getting versus what Pearl is getting now. But I read an article earlier about how these Auburn facilities are still in the conceptual phase; they don't even have them funded. They're still asking for donations and gifts from alumni. So, like it might be too little too late. Like you're not going to convince a guy that just took your team number one in the country that he has to practice with the, you know, around the gymnastics team schedule because they don't have their own like dedicated facilities. Like it just seems like there's a bit of an issue with Auburn putting all of its energy into football. And now they are sort of a basketball school, but they're everything's cool. But yeah, I mean like Michigan, they're a baseball school. Look, yeah, looking looking at Auburn versus Louisville facilities, just for a moment, imagine, if you will, that Auburn says, we're going to build you this seven-room, four-bathroom mansion in Auburn, Alabama, and maybe we'll get you a Rolls-Royce down the road. Mm-hmm. Louisville is like, here's a 20-bedroom, 10-bathroom, stately manor in the center of Louisville, Kentucky, you're basically a god. And oh, by the way, we have ten Rolls Royces in the parked in the driveway for you right away, and a private That's jet the in the back. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like... That's the difference. Yeah. And by the way, the house that Auburn's going to build you, it's going to be three to four years before you really get to use that house. Yeah. Like, if if even three, if, like if you it could be a decade. Funding. Yeah. It's not like those facilities just magically pop up. It's going to take some time to get there. Yeah, I think all of this is just making me think about how uh, Bruce Pearl had such an incredible glow up in a in a location where there was no expectations or minimal expectations, a little rehabilitation of his image. And, you know, I don't know if Brucey's necessarily love him, but I don't know if he's necessarily the guy to uh, prosper with big expectations. 
Um, when he was at Tennessee, uh, the average Ken Palm ranking was around 30 for all of his teams. I don't think he's ever consistently coached the top 10, a top 10 team year in, year out. So I, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see uh, if he does go to Louisville, what in the world that looks like. Louisville should just be prepping for the Mark Few interview, right? I mean, that's happening according oh. to like, he's easy get, right? I, I, I can't believe more people aren't talking about the fact that uh, Brad Stevens is absolutely going to become the, the god of college basketball once again. And um, where Rick Bettino offers darkness, I am sorry, Austin King. Brad Stevens <laughs> delivers light. Um, two, two great Lord basketball light, minds. Stevens. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, I don't. Let's let's go back into uh, uh, TV land where where we're talking about shows that were on like 15 years ago. Uh, y'all, did you watch Lost? Like the the, the no. white guy and the 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 black shirt guys uh, playing chess. I don't know why I'm making that reference. F- that reference. Uh, <laughs> go back to Love Actually, dude. Just hold the sign yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we gotta okay. we only do references from do, Game of Okay, do, do we want some soon. do you want some criterion channel deep hits? Do you want me yeah. to talk about Ingmar Bergman and the seventh seal where Dad oh, yeah, is brother. playing chess with a man with his life on the line? We can talk about that. Brad Stevens, you are the paladin of truth and light. Get the hell out of oh, also where is he by the way? Rick Patino Land, Boston. You know who's coming through those doors? Brad Stevens. Get ready, folks. <laughs> So earlier this week, we talked about Kansas and whether or not they'd be able to hold on to the belt. Uh, they played Texas Tech earlier this week, and they were able to to trounce them in double overtime fashion, thanks in large part and probably only in part because of Ochai Agbaji, right? Yeah, that was it. 100%. He carried them. What, 37 back. points? The dude the, the, is a stud. A, a, a bucket. And, like, it is just so tight to see a player – that has been there forever be that guy like i don't know mm-hmm. if we have really any other major contributors that you know it feels like they've been there forever this year no i think he's the only one this year that is like a legit national player of the year candidate that's like a four-year player so did we learn anything about the belt holders kansas did that make you any more positive towards them or did that just confirm to you again that they're going to drop this i think we learned that bill self has no confidence in remy martin Mm -hmm. for starters i mean and and let's be real like remy martin like i think the the idea of him coming into kansas this year was that he would make them some sort of contender but um really their only saving grace is ochai abaji at this point Mm -hmm. like there's nobody else on that roster that even comes close to that level of play yeah i mean remy martin did not play the last five minutes of regulation and did not play in either overtime period like wild that is insane because he is probably your second or third depending on how you view christian brown like offensive player um he is your point guard and you did not play him at all you show like bill self just shows no confidence in him um either on the defensive end or as a scorer um and let's be real christian brown in both games against texas tech has not been good he is not a very good three-point shooter he needs to attack on straight line drives off of other people's creation uh and if you have a rim protection um and you have you know the ability 
to switch onto him and have that athleticism, you can really shut down their second best offensive option. And it really just turns into the Ochai like game. And if he's not on, then Kansas is in trouble. Yeah, I mean, even games where Kansas Kispert is on, like six, seven for 12 from three, uh, that was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Am I going to allow you to say Kansas <laughs> Kispert? I'm this sorry, you asked about four of your guys that became National Player of the Year candidates, and like, I don't want to get too derailed. But I just was looking at the stats. Like, this guy's offensive rating is pretty consistently above 120, sometimes 130. Some games it's up to 150, 160. Like, mm-hmm. he gets it done on the offensive like side of the ball, and I absolutely think that this game showed me that when they go play Kentucky, they're going to be able to pick up that game. Um, the last couple games, he's scoring, you know, uh, 22, 26, 30, 37. Like, that's just output that I there, think Kansas There's can no run doubt. I agree with you completely that he is he is mastered the, co- the college game at this point. Like, he is one of the best – you know, in, in the country, um, and consistently night in, night out is doing work, but is he, is he on the level of Corey Kispert? I don't know. Like that's yes. That's insane. That's an insane take. Let my Homer hat ride. (laughs) Coming out of the linky kitchen. I love a little Homerism. I see. No, five stars. Oh my gosh. Um, back to Kansas. Uh, I just want to say, uh, I was, I was the highest on Kansas out of anybody on this podcast all year. Uh, but you know, seeing two Texas Tech games and I've high on the Red Raiders, I I just don't see a way Kansas makes it to the third week of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that Ochai, you know, Johnny Davis, Ochai are probably the two guys of anybody that could be Kimba candidates to carry a team, but that's asking so much, especially when that's the guys around you. Austin, you brought up Remy Martin playing five minutes and not at towards the end of the game and not at all in uh, overtime. Remy Martin had an offensive rating in that game in the 70s. Like, he was terrible. Like, there's a reason Bill Sell pulled him. But the issue is there's nobody to put in for him. Uh, Harris isn't that guy. Uh, I just just don't see a way where Bill Sell's guard-heavy schemes and guard-heavy basketball can be successful with the team that he has, especially when your post player is David McCormick, which is just preaching to the choir at this point. Yeah. Um, so Kyle, you believe that Kansas is going to hold on to the belt when KU plays UK. Yeah, that's that's the prediction. Um, I mean, I think that they have a home game, which is going to help them. Um, I think, like we've been saying, Abaji is going to be uh, – trying to match a performance like that and um they just took care of a really really good texas defense and kentucky just doesn't have it like that on the defensive side so um i think that if they get similar production from from their players uh they should pick up that game where where are you on this josh i i really like kentucky i think and and that is a big thing for me because i am not at all a kentucky fan but at the end of the day, the thing that really gives me pause here is the injury situation. You've got Ty Ty, you've got uh, Severe, you've got o- uh, uh, Obi's brother, <laughs> the other topping. Um, you've got um, Shibwe that, that are, you know, they 
they they just there's too many injuries there's too many ankle problems there's too much you know with that backcourt question wise until until maybe they get shade and sharp into the the flow of things and that's probably not happening at allen fieldhouse so no. yeah i'm gonna probably go kansas here and i'm as much as it pains me to to agree if Ty Ty is back, which I haven't heard anything, I don't know if you guys have. Uh, I have I a heard hard... that he's going to try to give it a go. He wants to give it a go, but that's saying a lot, and that's a player yeah. putting his health in his own hands. Yeah, I mean, if Ty Ty plays, like, give me Kentucky, but he's not going to be full strength. So I think Kansas is inevitably going to pull it out. Like, you know, as much as I talk trash about David McCormick, he is like a big body that can like at least put some resistance up against Oscar Shibway. Um, And then, you know, I I just am not a huge, huge believer in Severe Wheeler as like a creator on his own. Like he kind of needs Ty Ty to be that secondary creator. And if he's not 100%, we saw what happened against Auburn once Ty Ty went out, like Severe really struggled. And then what happened when they played Mississippi State? Like, they barely beat a Mississippi State team in overtime, gave up a big lead because uh, they just don't have the kind of perimeter creation that they need from Ty Ty and eventually Shaden Sharp. When they come in, that's going to be a problem, and they're a real national championship contender. But until they have both those guys, um, playing against the top-tier teams, they're going to struggle. On Wednesday after practice, Sean Calipari declined to give any updates on uh, both Severe Wheeler or Ty Ty Washington going into the game in Kansas. But Oscar Chibway did say he's pretty confident that Ty Ty is going to be with them in Kansas. So take that for what you will. Mm-hmm. Without Severe or Ty Ty, I think it's going to be a tough sled for them. But also, if there's, I don't even know if a rolled ankle for Oscar is going to make me think that he can't take on David McCormick. Uh, I think the injury of Toppin is going to be really, really big in terms of helping find guys to limit what Ochai does. So, mm-hmm. you know what, though? I want, no offense to my Big 12 listeners, I, I, I just want that belt to be spread across the land. I want K- Kentucky take that belt and bring it back to Lexington. I'm going with Kentucky. Screw it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Spicy. So Huck thinks the belt belongs in the SEC, huh? It just I just think the belt would mean more in the SEC. <laughs> Speaking of the SEC and Kentucky possibly taking that belt, let's look at the new bloods and blue bloods in the landscape. Auburn's number one in the country. Does anyone have that team as a new blood? Yeah, I've got Auburn as my new blood. Like it's their first time ever being number one in the AP poll this week, even though they struggled mightily against Quanzo Martin and uh I mean my my man just choked that game away um completely making one of the most baffling coaching decisions that I've seen in a long time uh, Auburn got the ball up one and they had what 34 seconds on the clock yeah, Missouri decided seconds. not to foul and basically to try to rebound it and then go full court in four seconds uh, makes absolutely no sense. Because nothing makes more sense than being out-rebounded by 10 or 12 boards and yeah. say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a rebound with four seconds left on the clock and go the distance. And not just get a rebound, get a rebound over Walker Kessler, who just actually destroyed you for 38 minutes, 39 minutes. Yeah, it made absolutely no sense. Uh, but anyway, 
Auburn is my new blood of the week. Congrats, congrats to Auburn um, for being number one. I'm sure that'll last a very long time and everything will be very happy down in Alabama. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think Auburn's the new blood of the week simply because of that number one ranking that they've somehow held on to after slipping away in Como. Thanks to Quanzo Martin, the worst coach of all time. <laughs> I couldn't just join the Auburn bandwagon. Um, that's you know I got to be a bit of a uh, swimming upstream, but uh, I I wanted to just shout out Oregon. Um, you know we're talking Pac-12 a little bit, and I think that it's time to recognize that Oregon is going to be a much better team than everybody thought they were going to be. Um, their offense sitting at third overall in the Pac-12, which is a big deal considering um, there's two insanely high-powered offenses in UCLA and Arizona above them. Um, some of their early losses to like Arizona State in overtime looked really bad, but they played Baylor tough. They went on a bit of a win streak, and I think based on looking at the rest of their schedule, they probably only drop two or three more games um, for the rest of the season, uh, losing you know an away game at Arizona and a, a home game against UCLA. Um, and then may or may not lose uh, against USC, um, but USC is falling apart. So new blood of the week is Oregon. I think they're going to come on strong and uh, finish as one of the top teams in the Pac-12. Disgusting. So, Disgusting. I believe in Dan I hate Altman. Oregon. I hate him so much. <laughs> um, so on the New Bloods podcast, a, a big important factor to us is uh, building people up. We want to you know, celebrate college basketball. We want to celebrate the diversity of fan bases. So they may not be number one fans of teams out of Spokane, Washington, where I was born and raised. Uh, they may not like Gonzaga. They may think that Gonzaga plays in a pretend conference and they don't play anyone and they're going to falter in March. But I just want to champion and pat on the back the Michigan Wolverines as my new bloods of the week. <laughs> Michigan, you're on a three-game winning streak. You beat the dangerous, dangerous Terrapins coached by Danny Manning and starring Fats Russell. You beat them by 21. Way is to that go. their first three-game winning streak of the year? Yes. Yes, it is. I didn't know they had won three games previous. <laughs> <laughs> Took care of business because Mike Woodson didn't wear a suit on the road in Bloomington. Um, and then... On Wednesday, you took down Northwestern, and not only took down Northwestern, this was brought to my attention thanks to a tweet from Greg Waddell from Sleepers Media. Jawan Howard watched a 25-7 to Northwestern run without taking a single timeout. He had three left with three minutes remaining in the game. That did not allow the Wolverines to falter. Further proof that alums are great, great options as basketball coaches. Um, should should I rescind my statement that Quanzo Martin is the worst coach in America? <laughs> you, uh, you're not, handing not that only, to Jawan Howard. That is, I don't know. I mean, that's you are terrible. full spice. You are full that spice. Is... Uh, Jawan Howard, uh, not only a great alum coach, a great friend. Because if there's one thing we remember about the Fab Five, it is that national championship game and the fact that Chris Weber called a timeout that his guys just didn't have. Well, Jawan Howard not only didn't call a timeout, but Jawan Howard left a timeout on the table in the first half as well. Shout out, Michigan. You were my new blood of the week. I got to say, this week, 
the blue blood of the week is a clear option, and that is UCLA. They absolutely pummeled uh, Arizona in their game, and you know it, it was it was one of those games where it was like from tip to finish, it was obvious it was UCLA's night. Arizona was terrible in that game. I think they had their their worst uh, defensive efficiency of the year. Um, you know, and and let's let's talk about Jules Bernard for a second. He was absolutely fantastic on offense. I think he went like seven eleven uh, for eleven from the floor. He had an effective field goal percentage of sixty eight percent, an O rating of one forty two point six. But he was also equally impressive on defense. His D rating of seventy eight point three, uh, seven rebounds, two steals. He, he was my MVP of that game, and I really think that that some people are sleeping on the third option that is Jules Bernard in in Poly. I was just going to shout out uh, UCLA for paying for Josh Linky's children's future education, um, hitting that big bet slip. But uh, that's right. Uh, blue blood of the week for me is uh, University of North Carolina, um, and I am <laughs> Tar Heel Nation. I am in a similar boat as uh, my my guy Tuck here. I just want to congratulate the little victories. What little victories they can salvage out of this season is they're now kind of projected to make the tournament. Um, no I saw way. them on some first four in, last four out type of um bubble and uh i just that's think for clicks that's just absolutely incredible yeah it's look, probably look, for clicks but bait, if baby. they put them in the tournament it would be for views anyway because like that's you just need that unc fan out. base watching look i, I called this um, what like a week ago you yeah, did, did. yeah we we're talking no. about like there's going to be some period where North Carolina is going to string together a couple of acc wins and all of a sudden they're everybody's darling again I it makes me sick, but you know what, Kyle? I <laughs> applaud you for having the courage to take North Carolina this week. Yeah, you know, I believed in the purity of the game of basketball and college basketball. You know, one that always is above the fray, and clearly I am wrong. You know, it is clearly a dirty sport, bent to the will of the blue bloods, and UNC is probably going to make the tournament, and that's going to be a shame because we're not going to see like the Murray State Racers or something. You know, and that's. Yeah. It's just further proof that football bowl games are ruining college basketball. We have a football <laughs> school coming after a beautiful thing like March Madness, and it's just it's just so sad to see where a name brand is the reason that a school is going to get into the tournament. Look, all I can say is that if North Carolina makes a tournament and Wyoming doesn't, we riot. West Coast basketball, baby. Um, I, I disagree. Wyoming can rot in hell for the way they made me cry as a child in Albuquerque <laughs> when Dan Dick Dickow got absolutely yeah, roasted by the Cowboys. Screw the Cowboys, man. Hey, yeah. big Josh Allen fan, big Wyoming guy. Love Yellowstone. It's all good. Shove down it there. up your Jackson hole, dude. <laughs> the Tetons are br- hey. Uh, anyway, uh, lived and spent a lot of time in Montana and Wyoming, so I guess I'm just being a homer. But uh, never go Shouts to, to Carroll College. Yeah, and uh, you know, okay, North Carolina. I'll end it there. Nobody wants to hear us talk about this team anymore. They're absolutely terrible. They'll probably make the tournament, but uh, good for them, you know, for cheating their way in. ACC vibes all the way up. It's the only thing they've ever cheated on. Yeah, speaking of cheating, my blue blood of the week is the Louisville Cardinals for finally (laughs) firing Chris Mack and giving themselves just a slight, slight taste of hope. 
that one day they could actually get back to the promised land, get to the NCAA tournament, which they're not going to get in this year, uh, back-to-back years where they're not going to make it. We need to see Louisville back as a true contender, and this is why they need to bring back Rick Pitino. They need to get Musselman. They need to get Pearl. They need a real name that fits the vibes that is going to bring that program back to glory. Louisville fans are down so bad right now. Like it's, it's honestly like, it's sad. You, you just look at that fan base and it, you realize that when, when Louisville is bad, it's bad for college basketball. It mm-hmm. just really is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Going with that idea of uh, basketball is best when the blue bloods are healthy and thriving. Uh, my blue blood of the week is Dickie V. Dick Vitale, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you as you go through chemotherapy and your vocal cord uh, progression. Uh, hope for a healthy man. Hope for a healthy uh, lab results. Uh, thoughts and prayers from everybody throughout the country. Basketball is better when the blue bloods are great and we hope you get well soon. We're going to speak to a Pac-12 expert, Rocco Miller, about some of the teams in the New Blood, Blue Blood segment, Oregon, UCLA, Arizona, see where they stand looking the rest of the way, as well as what the tournament chances are for the Pac-12, WCC, and Mountain West. I also wanted to give you a heads up about a great opportunity, basketball fans. Homefield is releasing Gonzaga Apparel, finally. Home of the greatest collegiate apparel in the country. Homefield is based out of Indiana, and they know hoops, and they know football, and they know what you need. They got plenty of Gonzaga gear, and it looks absolutely terrific. Comfy apparel, hoodies, t-shirts, and believe me, uh, my bank account is about to be empty. You can go to homefieldapparel.com to look at the latest capsule on Saturday as they release it for Big News Saturday. Go to homefieldapparel.com and at checkout, use the promo code NEWBLOOD to get 15% off on your order. Joining us today, uh, basketball writer, bracketologist, Rocco Miller. You can find him on on Twitter at Rocco Miller, R-O-C-C-O Miller 8. And uh, you can catch his bracketology at bracketeer.org as the... uh, uh, expectations and uh analysis gets underway thanks for joining us Rocco hey pleasure pleasure to be here on the podcast how you guys doing today doing great uh we're fresh off of a big time game uh on Tuesday night Arizona versus UCLA do you have any initial thoughts on that matchup yeah so you know UCLA um they've been they've been hibernating for a few weeks they you know they had a uh, some COVID issues and then of course had to come back to an empty arena where they of course got knocked off by Oregon um and, and somewhat of a strange game from a UCLA standpoint uh you know Pauly Pavilion can be a tremendous home court advantage especially when the program is as high as it is at this current moment um and then I think even the Oregon State game that week they had a, a tough time they had to kind of grind that one out late so you can just tell the atmosphere and the buzz, you know, that Bill Walton there and all that. It, it definitely was UCLA's night almost from the opening tip off. Um, they did a lot of great things, I thought, defensively. You know, Mick Cronin's a master at this uh, to really um, disrupt the flow of Arizona. Uh, as you guys know, Tommy Lloyd loves to get his team up and down. Was, I think they scored 80 in every game except for two. Uh, this whole season. And, and uh, they didn't even come close to that. I think they finished with 59. So 
Um, Cronin did a lot of things to disrupt that tempo uh, defensively, and that created some offense as well. So I thought it was just a genius game plan. UCLA was totally prepared. Arizona didn't know, it looked like what hit him, I guess you could say, for a good chunk of that game. And, um, you know, Kirk Kurosev probably had the worst game he'll ever have. I think he was 0 for 9 or 0 for 10 from deep and just forcing shots. And Ben Matherin got got frustrated, and he's a, he's a superstar. I think the important thing to remember is in the big picture, these two teams will play next Thursday in Tucson. I think it's going to be a whole different scene. So I just really looking forward to the next one already. Yeah, I'm curious, like you talked a little bit about what UCLA was able to do to disrupt Arizona's flow, you know, a lot of ball pressure. Uh, Carissa, you know, isn't the best at handling that. We saw that in the Tennessee game. They turned the ball over a ton. You know, when Arizona has played those top level defenses, they've really struggled to score the ball and not turn it over. Um, And there's a little bit of a lack of isolation scoring outside of Matherin. Um, I'm curious, like, how do they adjust for next Thursday to be able to have that potent offense that allows them to get past UCLA? Well, that's I'm curious to see how they're going to adjust fully. I do think being in your own building and having that environment and we know how crazy Tucson is, um, it's going to make a pretty darn big difference. It'll be a lot easier for uh, th- things to start to flow and, and shots to fall and all those little things that add up when you're playing at home versus a tough road environment. But in general, I think you made some good points there. I think, uh, you know, Benedict Matherin can't do it all. Uh, I mean, he can, but when, when he's doubled, you, you need guys like Dalen Terry, you need Pell Larson to bring something to the table. Obviously, Curse has got to be able to knock down at least his open shots. It looked like they were dependent quite a bit on Justin Kyer, uh yesterday during stretches. I'll be interested to see how that, uh, how that translates to the next matchup. Um, you know, Omar Ballo only got 11 minutes last night. It would be curious to see if they'll use him more or, you know, Tubelis is still trying to uh, get back to full strength. Maybe he's a little healthier. So there's just a lot of variables, right, that we, um, we only have one sample size to go off of so far. But I do think in terms of um, being prepared for some of that ball pressure you mentioned in some of those doubles, now they've got the tape, they've lived through it, um, UCLA, I don't think had played a game quite to that level uh, yet this year. So I think that was the highest performance they've, they've had probably quite easily on both sides of the ball. So um, now that, now that I think teams like Arizona have seen that from UCLA, the preparation is going to be quite a bit different. Yeah. I think uh, an interesting aspect of the game for me from the UCLA standpoint was um, Peyton Watson had a really good defensive game and probably actually I would, would say one of his best defensive games of the year. Um, but he was almost equally awful on the <laughs> offensive end. And it's, it's interesting to just kind of see that, like, um, you know, that, that breakdown between both ends of the court for him. Obviously he's still a freshman. He's still learning the system, but um, what do you think about Peyton Watson becoming more of like a, I don't know, like a, a bigger piece for UCLA as we get closer to March? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that he will. I, I mean, of course, he's got all the potential in the world being a being a five star recruit. He's very gifted, at, you know, offensively as well. Uh, but I think, you know, Mick Cronin may have just sat him down at some point this year and said, Peyton, you know, this is this is Juzang and Jaquez's team. We got Cody Riley, Jules Bernard, Tiger Campbell. Those are our main guys. We need you to come in and give us some quality minutes and do these things for us. And you know, you'll have little moments here or there to give us some offense. 
if he, if he's a mature enough kid and you know i haven't i haven't talked to mick since media day at the uh, preseason event so um it'd be good to hear a check-in from him but if he's accepted that role i could see that lasting through uh the end of the tournament all the way through the end of the season it, that's what that's what's interesting to me because of course if if any of the starting five get hurt watson then becomes a much more important part of the offensive puzzle um, but the way you saw a lot of those possessions play out last night, you know, uh, it's, it's Juzang and Jocka still getting the majority of the shots. Cody Riley getting a lot of touches down low. Tiger Campbell being the floor general. And, and that's how, uh, how that's how UCLA succeeds on a high level. You know, they only had eight turnovers last night. I think that's another big key to the game is they did that a lot in, the, in their tournament run last year where they were able to not turn the ball over and Tiger Campbell was an unsung hero in a lot of ways because he was able to uh, to limit the turnovers, if not turn it over at all, which again, last night he had zero turnovers. So. Right. Kind of pivoting to uh, Arizona on the, uh, the season scale. Uh, Tommy Lloyd's done an excellent job, obviously taking over the existing roster in Arizona and getting a lot of those kind of disparate minds to buy into his system and style of play. In your view, is he one of the prime candidates for national player of the, or sorry, national coach of the year? He, I mean, he's gotta be, I mean, I thought I was high on Arizona to start the year. And I think I had him like 20, I don't know, maybe 21 or somewhere in the 21 to 25 range in that last five. Most people did not have Arizona anywhere uh, near the top 25. Some people didn't even have them in their preseason bracket. A lot of mysteries, you know, at, at media day, they were tied for fourth with Oregon State, right? And then I think when you think about um, just the overall synopsis, there's so many mysteries about who was going to be the big scorer, you know, how, how are they going to flow? Is there you know, can the ball get around fast enough to keep everybody happy? Like a lot of questions coming into the season. I watched their, they have a red blue game every year, which is like their big preseason event. And um, that's what gave me a really good feeling about the team. It's just the fact that it looked like everything was like Lloyd's offense and it would have been flowing. Um, I get to see Gonzaga a lot here out in, in the WCC. And it looked so much like Gonzaga already at that early point. Um, now when they went and blew out Michigan in that Vegas tournament, I mean, that definitely took me by surprise. I thought they could give them a good game, maybe squeak a win out, but they blew them out by 18. Uh, then later on they go to Illinois and win a gutsy road game where it was a sold out packed, uh, you know, state farm arena out there in Champaign and, uh, they're trading basket for basket and then pulling out a game in the final two minutes. It's like, well, these guys are not just maybe top 10 good. They're national title contender. Good. Um, so from a coach of the year standpoint, if you have that type of story from September till April, uh, you're, you're, you're in darn good shape to win the thing. You know, I haven't, I haven't thought about that award deeply, but I, I would say it would be very hard to beat Tommy Woods uh, case for it. Yeah. I think one of the interesting aspects about his, the improvement of Arizona overall, a lot of people put the focus of that Gonzaga system on the offense, but that defensive improvement for Arizona this year has been remarkable. I think they went from like 59th last year, all the way to oh, yeah. the top 10 this year, um, you know, and, and their offense has obviously improved as well, but um, you know, that pace of play too, like, you know, they're, they're one of the top teams in the country at pace. And, and that's, it's interesting to see just, you know, him kind of put all of these systems together so quickly with, with such a young roster. It's like one of the most, you know, youngest teams in the country. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I, I think 
I, especially on the defensive end, as you mentioned, you know, they're, they're fifth right now in effective field goal percentage defense. They're first in two point percentage defense. Uh, you know, they keep teams off the line. They, they block. I, I think a lot of it has to do with Coloco's big growth. Uh, a lot of those, you know, uh, block shots in the middle are just altering of shots with his, with his presence. He was certainly the hero in that Illinois win I mentioned just a minute ago. Um, I, I never would have expected them to be a top 10 def defensive efficiency team. Um, and the way that kind of works is, you know, they're playing with the top two tempo in the nation. I think the number two in the nation in adjusted tempo. Uh, and we saw this with Alabama last year. Uh, effectively, if you create somewhere around, you know, 75 to 80 possessions a game, looks like they're more in the mid seventies. Um, you're, you're then creating, the other team having to come up with baskets more and more frequently. So that can actually help your defensive effective rate, which is a real smart way to play the game. It's coming down. I think a lot from the better NBA teams. Um, I'm not, I, I think Tommy does do, do quite a bit of studying of the pro game. And I know NATO it's does out there in Alabama. So um, it's amazing to kind of see all this play out in data uh, because when you're watching such a fast paced game, you don't think of it as a great defense, but it, but it actually really is. Yeah, kind of wanting to pivot a little bit back to, to UCLA and look at the bigger picture, particularly with the Pac-12 and who's going to win the regular season. With that win, uh, do you think that they're in the driver's seat or can Arizona come back Thursday, win, and then it's you know totally up for grabs between those two teams? Yeah, I think it's between those two teams. And I would I would predict Arizona gets that win at home. You got to defend, defend home court if you're two elite teams. Uh, obviously, if UCLA gets goes in there and wins that, they're totally in the driver's seat. Um, and in the league in general, as you guys know, you, you know five through twelve, uh, maybe maybe six through twelve. Colorado had a nice win on the road last night. Um, it, you got to get a lot of these wins this year. Um, not the easiest places to travel. The mountains trip is always hard for everybody, but uh, both the LA schools already passed that last week. So again, Arizona is going to have to go through that later on in the year. I would expect. Um, this to be a battle all the way till the end and Arizona would be up a game with a win next week. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I have a feeling they might, might end up tying in the end and it'll be one a and one B. Yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to kind of bring up and talk to you about was the UCLA offense and in particular kind of their shot diet um, in the top five players and attempts on their team. Only one player Hawkes shoots over 40% of his shots at the rim. Um, they've only got two players in the top 500 per Ken Palm and uh, effective field goal percentage. They shoot more two point mid range jumpers than they do shots at the rim or from three. Like to me, that just does not seem like a healthy shot diet at all. Um, that's going to get you to a final four. And I'm curious, like, do you see that changing? Uh, do you see that as like a big concern? Uh, or are they just that good of an individual ISO scoring team that Johnny Juzang can put them on his back? Tiger Campbell can make great decisions, not turn the ball over, because that is one thing they're great at is not turning the ball over. Uh, yeah. And that's what's going to allow them to be an efficient offense and, you know, make them, you know, a real threat in March. Uh, I think that's an excellent question. So I think it's a hybrid. I, I, I think they preferred to play a lot more ISO than your average team or your, or your typical team, because they do have a lot of trust 
in Jacquez and uh, Juzang, uh, especially with those mid-range jump shots and, you know, creating little screen and rolls off the, off the elbow, those types of opportunities. Uh, but I think what's important to remember is uh, for the majority of this year, Cody Riley hasn't been there. And now that he's back, I think a lot of those numbers will start to come back towards the, towards the mean if those were season-long numbers. Um, so I do think, you know, you look at Cody Riley's line last night, he had 11 attempts. He certainly had a ton of touches. Um, he's a huge part of what they want to accomplish. Uh, and, and you'll hear Cronin talk about that quite a bit. Um, so I do think as we go forward, as long as they can keep these five that, you know, that play the majority of the minutes healthy, you'll see a little bit more of an even distribution. It's harder for the defense to lock in on the J and J boys, as we call them out here, um, you know, in the middle of the, in the middle of the floor and put their biggest wings on them to dis disrupt them. They still can do that, but then you're, possibly leaving some vulnerability in the middle with Cody. Um, so I, I do think that's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. I don't think it's going to be so dependent as it has been. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, pivoting over to Oregon, they've kind of had a, a, they've had a mixed bag this year, a disappointing start to the season. Uh, but then over the last couple of weeks, they picked up some big wins over UCLA and, and USC um, they're five and one since January started. What, what do you think changed over the last month for the Ducks? That's a good question. I think in general, you look at Dana Altman over the years, he's been around for a long, long time um, between Creighton and Oregon. Um, and especially during his time at Oregon, he keeps getting uh, in the last five to 10 years, he keeps getting these brand new rosters. He'll get guys very late in the signing period, or he'll get a, a couple transfers late into the summer and really this year's roster was not entirely different. You know, Davion Harmon came over from Oklahoma. Jacob Young was a, was a nice splash for them. Um, partially through you had, and Folly Dante was still out with a torn ACL through most of the summer. I don't even think he came back to practice till November. Um, and then Quincy Guerrier came over from uh, Syracuse, right? And Eric Williams sat last year out. So almost all these players they depend on, and this is just one example of, a lot of other years like this, um, it just, you know, naturally it would take time for any team to start to come together. Altman runs a lot of different zone look defenses, uh, a lot of man styles as well. He's very matchup oriented. And I, I just think it's shown over the, all the seasons that uh, it generally takes times. So they, they've, they've rarely had a year where they just go from November to March, blowing teams out and get a one seed. It's, maybe happen once if, if ever, um, you know, some of their better years, they, they get like a three or a four and then they're kind of the odds on favorite to win their region because they'll come into March just blazing hot. It even happened just two years ago. They were a 12 seed. They wouldn't even have got in, but they won the PAC 12 tournament. Then they go to the sweet 16. They almost knock off the national champions, Virginia that year. So I just think it's um it's a byproduct of the way he's built his teams and he's finding the right players and the right pieces, but it's, done with the idea of the March being the end goal. We're not too worried about what goes on in November, December. And we're going to really start cranking things up for real, like around now, mid January to, to February. And I think that's what, what you're seeing. I mean, they did, they did look pretty abysmal during parts of uh, December there. The loss to BYU really jumps out where they uh, got, you know, just got blown off the court there, but I, I think they're in great shape going forward. You know, even last night's loss, they were up 15 in the first half, nine in the second half. And 
So they'll, you know, with Altman being such a good coach, they'll learn, they'll learn from that. And, and in terms of getting to the tournament, you know, the pressure's on and if they want to get in at large, but, but, you know, they'll get another crack at UCLA and USC at home. They'll get Arizona away. Chances are pretty good. I would say they'll, they'll win one or two of those to better position themselves. Speaking of uh, USC, uh, they were pretty much favorited by a lot of folks, uh, probably outside of you, that to be like the second team in the Pac-12. <laughs> and like, I I was high on USC going into the season because they seem like the most yeah. reliable pick of you know all the teams towards the top in the Pac-12. Right. Uh, since then, since going fifteen and zero, they've kind of stumbled out of the block in Pac-12 conference play. How how do you think that's affecting their seating? I mean, they got. What, they got up to like 12, right? In, in terms of national ranking. And then it's kind of just dipped since then. Yeah. I mean, they started 12 and 0 and looked, looked unstoppable, but you, you look at, look a little deeper under the hood that the opponents weren't as strong. You know, I think you even look at their resume right now, really uh, the only win they have against a team that would be probably in the field of San Diego state that happened on a neutral court. Uh, but beyond that, you know, they're just, basically floating along without really any bad uh, on their resume. So, you know, the way it breaks down, the way, the way I'm looking at it is, you know, they're, they're two and oh in the, the first quadrant, which is a very small sample size four and two. And if you look at the top two quadrants, which includes their Stanford loss and the Oregon loss um, and then everything else they've done, right. But they've really hurt themselves by not playing very, a very strong schedule. They're three twenty and non-conference strength of schedule that won't hurt them uh, much when it comes to seeding. Uh, however, if they stumble further, like between now and March and they end up in a bubble situation, that's, that could be a very, very uh, tough situation because history shows if you're one of the last five or six teams selected, uh, you'll, you, you don't want to be in that like 250 plus range of strength of schedule. And there, there's no saving them now because that's just based on non-conference. Uh, so, so it's kind of fascinating. Uh, the good news for the Trojans is they have one of the best road records you'll find. They're, they're five and one in the, the, on the road in Q1 and Q2 games. So even though the Pac-12 is down, you get a lot of these road games fall into Q2. That's actually make, making them stand out against a lot of the teams they're compared to. And then their overall OA neutral records, nine and one, which is, uh, I'm just looking right down the list, only Auburn's nine and one and uh, and we have Baylor at eight. No, that can really say they're better. So there's some, there's some nice pieces of the argument they'll have later on, uh, at least at this juncture. But, but I think in general, USC, very big team, very tough team to match up with. Um, I don't think they've been through the wars kind of long story short there. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm really curious to see what happens when they start going through the wars. Yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of like going through the wars, a big concern that I personally have is that, you know, in a conference where you have clear elite talent with guys like uh, Juzang and Jaquez, and then yeah. with uh, Arizona, Ben and Matherin, uh, for sure, by now, top 10 pick. Yeah. Does USC have the firepower? Like, is is Drew Peterson going to be the guy that gets you a bucket? Do you do you trust Chavez? I don't I don't know where where they yeah. where that personnel is. I'm with you. I, I don't I don't know for sure either. Uh, it's It's more of a system team. They want to they want to beat you with great defense and interior, uh, you know, physicality. But when it comes down to a tight situation, um, you know, USC, even, even last year, they got in that situation a couple of times before their big tournament run and it, it didn't always look pretty. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's going to remain a mystery. I, I don't know if there is that person they're going to, 
you know, just hope for the best in terms of comparing them to Arizona and UCLA because Arizona and UCLA are just on a different category right now. So kind of going over to the, the Cougars and, and Pullman, <laughs> Kyle Smith <Okay. laughs> uh, got an interesting bunch over there and um, expectations this year. There were, there were some people talking about a potential NCAA tournament run. Um, instead, they've kind of had a rough start, 10, 10 and 7 overall, bad losses to Eastern Washington, South Dakota State, New Mexico State. Is there still a potential path for the Cougs to find their way to an at-large bid or is that, is that done? You never say never till we're out of games, right? Um, so, I mean, that's the way I look at it, process of elimination. So, I, you, they'll have a four-game stretch where they'll actually play the Arizonas at home and then go to the L.A. schools. So, of course, they'll need to perform extremely well there. One of the one of the things Washington State does have going for them is, you know, their metrics are still really strong. They're floating around the 50 range, in uh, at least in Ken Palm. Uh, I know their their other predictives are very similar. You look at those seven losses, they haven't lost a game by more than six points. They're just all really tight, you know, uh, tight losses. I know that's keeping Kyle Smith up at night, uh, just thinking back on some of those opportunities that they didn't nail. Um, but, you know, they've gone through some personnel stuff as well. You know, they had a, a couple-week layoff with COVID. They had a game with Stanford, the, the one they lost, where um, they had to delay it an hour because uh, they had po positive test, they thought there were positive tests, and somebody said, "Wait, wait, wait!" And then later it was negative, and they got to play, uh, but but they went without Rodman, and, and uh, Roberts missed like the first ten minutes. It was an odd, odd deal. So they've just dealt with some things that I can't. You can't say everybody has. Um, and again, they're a scrappy bunch. They really need Noah Williams around. And you look at Noah uh, on the year he he had to miss that Eastern Washington game. I think that gave Eastern. Hope he lost. He is also missing in the Colorado loss. And so, I mean, he's their engine, so they have to have him out there. Um, you know, they're not going to beat you know, with waves, with depth, but uh, they play very smart. Kyle's a great coach. I, you know, I knew him when he was here at San Francisco and, um, you know, they'll, they'll keep fighting until the end. So be, it really will be interesting to see how they do in February, because at that point, you would hope, you know, we get past the COVID cancellations. Games are flowing again and, and they can maybe get into a rhythm. I want to hop over to a much, much sadder program on the other side of the state, Washington. Uh, Washington is maybe the third best job in the Pac-12. Uh, has a great history. Seattle is one of the best recruiting grounds in the country. And they're a, kind of a complete disaster right now. Last year, they go 5-21. and 21. This year, they're 228th in offense. They have losses to Northern Illinois, Winthrop, and Wyoming. How close is Hopkins to losing his job and what has gone wrong for him? Like, what is he not doing right to make this, you know, once really good program into a bottom dweller in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a loaded question. So I'm, uh, I got full disclosure. I'm a, I'm a Washington guy originally. That's where I'm, from. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for diving <laughs> the knife in a little hard. No, that's all right. We'll have to go over the backstory of Gonzaga UW down the road, but uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so, you know, Hopkins, of course, one of the greatest guys you could ever meet. He's really fun to be around. And, um, I want nothing but the best for him, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of the change um, happened, you know, a couple of years ago, started flirting more with a lot more man defense, uh, trying to match some of the personnel they recruited you go back to that uh, McDaniels and Stewart year, um, they're really, 
I think a lot of promises made to those guys in particular where they were going to get a certain amount of playing time. And I think it affected what the rest of the team did. Uh, there's some older players, you know, that are now gone, of course, like Nas Carter and Ham Wright uh, that were brought in originally to be big time parts of the program and seeing a lot of their roles go go away. So I, I don't think he managed the personnel very well back if we go back a couple of years. This year, he's really known that, you know, it's put up or shut up time. And uh, I thought he did a, a smart strategy, leveraging the portal to get a lot of the guys from the 206 or surrounding areas back home, like Emmett Matthews and obviously, uh, obviously Brown and, and Dejan. And, and so, you know, it, it was nice in theory, but the one thing they didn't address was get a rim protector. And uh, they came close on Bryson Williams, who's killing it for Texas Tech. Didn't work out. That would have uh, potentially been a big game changer. Came close on Tari Eason, who, of course, is from Seattle. Uh, Wade, Will Wade ends up getting his way with him. And so um, no real backup plan. So it's, uh, it's fascinating to see how it's all played out. But that's, that's a little bit of the background. But I just think the team you're seeing this year, it's a smaller group. Uh, Terrell Browns is having a sensational year. They finally figured out that if they just run all the offense through him, you have a lot better results. There's been, there's been a couple of nice surprise wins in there. Uh, you know, a good win over both Cal and Stanford on the same week. That was, that was probably the best week of the year, but um, there's just certain teams that are like tournament caliber that, that they really can't match up with um, Arizona. They actually hung with for a while. And I think that's just because the tempo and the style, uh, a lot of the UW players have, kind of that that really good pickup ball mentality they all they all play in the crossover league in the summer up there in Seattle and so that's they love to run up and down but there's just not enough like I think Hopkins biggest mistake was going away from the 2-3 zone that what made Syracuse great and now it's it's been kind of a mix mix and match thing and there's no continuity there's no there's nothing that they've become experts at and so um, I think other offenses feel very comfortable playing against the Huskies and in terms of his job status, it'll be really fascinating because the football program already fired the football coach this year. And I, I'm trying to find an example of a school firing with, with as big of a program as UW has, both their football and men's basketball coach in the same school year. Um, and I also know they, they don't necessarily want to pay the buyout. So who knows? Like he might be able to hang on another year based on some of that. Uh, but I think at most places he might be on his way out by now, unfortunately, because, again, I, I love the guy. And looking at how top heavy the Pac-12 is this year, looking at the greater landscape of uh, Western basketball, uh, I feel like you can make an argument that the Mountain West and the Pac and the WCC rather have as good of a shot as four bids as the Pac-12 does. Do you do you agree with that, or do you think that it's you know four to five teams in the Pac-12 and uh, there's going to be some uh, interconference violence on the Mountain West and WCC front? <laughs> Well, I'll say this. I, I think if anybody's going to get to five, it's going to be the Pac-12. Yeah. But I definitely could see a scenario where all three get to four, if that makes sense. I just don't think in the WCC you're going to find a fifth, especially mm -hmm. with Gonzaga there, making sure nobody else wins the uh, conference tournament. And if anybody does, it would have to be like a BYU or or one of the four that are in. I, definitely. It would be almost impossible to see somebody else coming out of nowhere to win that one. And the MW LMU Lions couldn't pull it off and win the <laughs> WCC tourney. I mean, I was, as much as I would love to see that, I just, the way they played this year, you know, I'm not, not feeling that. Yeah, probably not. Uh, but if you look at the uh, Mountain West, I mean, this is kind of a week-to-week -week league. Uh, 
Boise, of course, is on fire, 13 wins in a row. Wyoming's had an incredible start. I went out and saw Fresno State last week. They're really fun and tough. Like, nobody's tougher than that team in terms yeah. of just attitude. Like, I mean, they bring it. Um, and I haven't even talked about San Diego State or Colorado State, the two teams we always talk about. Or not always, but we, at the start of the year. Um, Nevada's sneaky. They, I mean, talk about a team that could maybe get hot and make a run in the conference tournament. And then Utah State. I mean, they beat Oklahoma to win an ESPN event this year. Uh, came out of nowhere, won that tournament. Uh, if they come back to their full strength, they've had some players out. You know, maybe they make a run too. So I, I, I think the Mountain West could have a, a bid steal, but they also have so many teams close to the bubble. If they did have a bid steal, maybe that would knock one of the bubble teams out. Hard to know at this point, but it's uh, in general, I'm very excited about the Mountain West. I, I think it's uh, it's great to see all these teams step in their game up in terms of, um, you know, you just look at their Kempom numbers if you'd like. Even the Air Forces in the San Jose States and the New Mexicos are a lot better. And that's bringing the, bringing the rest of the league up. It's, it's a little bit more meaningful when they win those games. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the Mountain West is the strongest of the three from top to bottom or the most consistent, at least. Um, I am a staunch advocate in terms of WCC talk of the San Francisco Dons as being the second best team in the conference. Where do you fall? Who do you think? Uh, how many bids... Re- like realistically, do you think the conference gets and do you buy the Dons as the second best or do you think it's still a BYU by a comfortable margin? Well, you know, I, I so I, I cover the Dons pretty closely here. Uh, I live here locally um, for a long time. I lived less than a mile from the from the gym. So uh, I, I know all those guys very closely. I do a lot of their games. But, you know, my, my theory with the Dons, I, I love them this year. They're, they're very improved. They're very deep at all five positions, which is the biggest change. Very guard-heavy team in the past. Um, you know, it's prove it, prove it before I'm going to say it kind of thing. And they had, they had their chance to get to BYU. They, they controlled most of the game, and they let that thing slip away in the last four minutes. You know, that was tough to see. So I certainly can't put them above BYU based on what I saw there. Um, they'll get a chance to steal that game back when they go to – the Marriott center uh, next month. Um, St. Mary's in San Francisco, man, I watched them both quite a bit and they're, they're pretty neck and neck, but I think since 2006, like St. Mary's is something like 29 and two against San Francisco. So it's just hard in my head mentally, just knowing the history and, but you know, I've been, I've been around a while. So it's just hard for me to just all of a sudden put San Francisco above. I definitely agree with you. I can, I can see them as a two, a two B two C where any given night, one of them is going to, find a way to win. Um, I'm very intrigued to see how it plays out. Those are, those are all going to be great games when any of the three pair up. I wanted to ask one final question. This, this is kind of something we've been discussing in our group chats and, and amongst ourselves for a while. Would Jamari Bouye start for Gonzaga? Yes. I think you'd have to. No. Thank you. Do you think you, he's Rocco. better than Andrew Nemhard for that Gonzaga team? Okay, like, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Rocco, they keep on pegging Andrew. They keep on pegging <laughs> I, Jamari. I want to stay out of this. Yeah. They keep on pegging Jamari as only a point guard when I feel like he's a great combo guard. I feel like Jamari would be wonderful off the ball too. So I feel like yeah, he yeah. – yeah. Okay, let, let me ask the more slanderous question that we've been talking about a lot. Would if you took all five starters off of Gonzaga, would their bench be able to win the WCC? Probably. Ah, I love it. I love I, it. I mean, they're they're loaded. I mean, it's a different type of program than anybody else is running. I mean, BYU's got a ton of resources, 
But Gonzaga's at a point now in the last decade where they are totally connected with USA basketball, Nike. You're getting the number one player a couple of years in a row. But well, okay, I get it that Suggs wasn't the number one player, but effectively a five star. Uh, this is a whole different game Gonzaga's playing now. And even before then, when they had, you know, um, you know Tilly and Karnuski and you know the list goes on. There's so many examples. Um, they were they were already pretty darn elite. So now you're looking at, like last year, Strother would have been a bench guy that a lot of fans would have forgot about. But if he had played for any of the other nine WCC teams, he probably would have been all league perhaps. So, you know, I know, I know Gonzaga's got guys like that on their bench now. Like Solace isn't even starting right now. Anton Watson was a player of the year in the state of Washington. He's, what, your sixth man at this point. So uh, Nolan Hickman, I mean, he would start for pretty much anybody else in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that team wins the league. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like people don't talk enough about Anton Watson. He's number seven in a- uh, Evan Mia's rankings right now for like player efficiency. Like yeah. for that to be your sixth man off the bench, that's only getting like 20 something minutes and he's a top 10 player and at least a, a pretty like well-respected analytics site. That's saying a lot about your depth and front court. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's, a, he's a good player. It, some of these guys, when it comes to analytics on Gonzaga, especially in these WCC games, I mean, they're just creating such easy baskets. I mean, I, I'd love to play on that team if I was good enough. Because uh, <laughs> you could probably I, put up ten to fifteen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely easy be buckets. Just right. run, be in good shape. You're good. That's right. Well, um, thank you so much, Rocco Miller, fellow defender of Jamari Bouye. Um, you can catch him on Twitter at Rocco Miller eight and go to his website for bracketology expectations at bracketeer.org. Thank you again, Rocco. You're very welcome. Thanks guys. Thanks again to Rocco Miller for joining us to talk about the PAC 12 mountain West WCC and get a little clarity about who's who in those conferences. You can catch him again at Rocco Miller eight on Twitter and bracketeer.org. Be sure to like, subscribe, hit five stars. If you don't hit five stars, you're as sorry as Quanzo Martin. We are the New Bloods Podcast. Kyle Sessions, Josh Linky, Austin King, Tuck Clary. Peace. Later. Yo.